All right, the rest of us, let's take out our Bibles and find Romans chapter 8 once again. We're going to continue where we left off last week. We were specifically looking at verses 17 and 18. In verse 17, we're told we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And so we were talking about what the New Testament teaches concerning our inheritance and what that is. We see it come across in the New Testament in a number of places. And so we're meditating on that for a couple of weeks. And this whole section here that we're in now in Romans 8, beginning verse 17 and running through verse 30, have reference to our eternal future, our glory, our hope which is all our inheritance, you see. It's worth our attention because understanding it is going to help us in our life now. Knowing what our future is, knowing what our eternal inheritance is, helps us in our daily life now in a number of ways. Okay? And so it's worth our time and attention Begin, let's look at verse 16. Let's just read, and we'll just read through verse 18 this morning. I'll pause, we'll pray and ask God's help with this, and then we'll work our way through it. Verse 16 of Romans 8, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we also may be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Let's ask God's blessing on these verses. Father, we come before you in complete dependence upon you that you through our spirit would help us comprehend and see and know and believe and be excited about our future inheritance that comes from you. All of the things you have in store for us, unimaginable things, wonderful things. We need to know these things, Lord, and we need to feel them. And so I ask in these next few minutes as we think deeply about them and make connections in other parts of your word that your spirit would guide us and help us to arrive at right conclusions and to really enjoy and delight in your word that it would change us. God, that it would change us. That it would change our daily lives and the way we think and the things we do. That we would set off in a pursuit of things eternal because they're going to be that good. 
So we ask that you would use these words to save us from this present evil age. Guide me now and gift me as I do not naturally have the ability to do anything profitable, but by your spirit, I could be used to edify your church. And I ask this in the name of Jesus, amen. Do you remember I put up somewhat of a definition that I'm sort of making up on what the inheritance is? We're thinking about being an heir of God We're going, of course, receive an inheritance. And we said that it is the summation, really, of all of God's gracious, good, glorious, and guaranteed eternal promises for His people in Jesus Christ. It is something that we will receive in the future. It is ours now but we don't receive it until then. And so it's something, as Paul will draw out even more clearly in Romans 8, it is something that we are hoping for. And of course, we don't hope for what we see. Who would hope for what they see? No, it's something that we're waiting for with confident expectation. But it's a summation of all of those Gracious, good, glorious, guaranteed eternal promises for His people in Jesus Christ. I mean, if you read through your Bible, maybe even in the Old Testament, and you see many promises delivered to the people of God for eternity, for a kingdom, for glory, those promises work their way out even more fully in the New Testament pages as we see even more that's coming. And the whole Bible ends with a glimpse in Revelation 21 and 22 of this future glory, this inheritance that we have waiting for us. You can read those passages and claim all of those as your rightful inheritance in Christ that will be given to you. Wonderful, glorious promises that God makes to His people who are right now living in a sin-filled, cursed, fallen world of suffering. There is that element of Christianity that is always getting the eye of faith up off of the present and looking towards the future. And when I say future... I mean the eternal future. We began asking the question last week, what exactly is this inheritance? And we said, well, we don't really have time to look into all of that. And frankly, we don't know everything God has in store for us. But we can use verses like these in Romans 8 to help us get a concept of what this inheritance is like, giving us words that can describe it. And that's where, of course, that definition comes from. It's somewhat of my outline. It's the summation of all God's gracious, good, glorious, guaranteed, eternal promises for His people in Jesus Christ. And we just began last week with the concept of it being God's inheritance. And that, of course, comes in verse 17. He says, if we're children, 
than heirs. And the first thing he says is that we are heirs of God. And we said that could have two different nuances to it. The first one being that it means our inheritance comes from God. He's the one that's going to give it to us. And he's going to delight in doing that. It's not something that he does reluctantly. It is brought out of the riches of his glory and he just bestows these eternal blessings on his people and will take great delight in doing so. But then we said the other idea behind that, heirs of God, is that in the end, if you read, take the time to read the end of the story in Revelation 21-22, we're shown that we get God in the end, you see. And really, the, the whole story of God's creation is rounded out and brought to that wonderful completion. Whereas in the beginning, Adam and Eve were with God and lived with Him. Sin ruined it all. And the rest of the story, the rest of the book, is about God working out His promise to bring everything back into the way it is supposed to be. Glorious with His creation and really the pinnacle of His creation. Humanity will bear His image in perfect relationship with Him. In the end, we get God. We get His glory. We live in His presence forever. Revelation 21.3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. You understand, friends, that God is the eternally blessed God. In him is all the infinite treasures of happiness and joy and pleasure that is unimaginable to us now. It's all going to be ours. At thy right hand is fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore, never interrupted. And when that happens, when we inherit God, we will fulfill what is the chief end of man, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, you see. Now, this is what I want to do for just a minute. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Go to the right in your Bibles for just a few books. Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, page 1241 in our Bibles that we provide here. And I want to show you something I think is important. If you look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, Paul says this, In Him, that is Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things, according to the counsel of His will. So in Christ, we have obtained this inheritance. Now, Go down to verse 15. In verse 15, Paul says this, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So 
right now what Paul's going to do is he's going to tell them what he's praying for them. So if you wondered about what Paul prayed for churches and Christian people, you're going to get it right here. And what he's praying for these Ephesian believers and what he was probably praying for them in the back of his mind when he's writing Romans chapter 8 about their inheritance is right here. Notice this now. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, listen, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What is he praying for them here? He told them that in Christ they have this inheritance now. This future promise of glory and God. And now he takes the time to tell them that what he does when he remembers them in his prayers, is he prays that since they have the Spirit in them and God has enlightened not their physical eyes, but the eyes of their hearts, that they may now truly know what is this hope to which they've been called. What is the glorious inheritance in the saints that is coming for them, you see? Because the Christian, listen, There is a world of difference between knowing about your future glory because you can read it with your eyes off the page and your brain can kind of do a transaction there and you can kind of think about what the inheritance is and, you know, have a little bit of a definition going for it, maybe give it a description. There's a difference between that and the Spirit actually in you enlightening your hearts to where when you read this, there is a knowledge that penetrates the heart and produces within you joy and faith and change in your life. And I'm convinced that the reason this must be prayed for, friends, is because it's only if the Spirit takes the glorious truths of your eternal destiny in Christ and applies them into your heart, it's only then that your life will change in light of them. It's only in that way you'll be able to endure the suffering that God calls you in your life to walk through. If the Spirit has these things so real in you, so tangible in your heart, These expressions in the Bible of glory and goodness awaiting you, it's so real to you that it enables you to walk through the suffering of your life and still praise God. It rescues you from this present evil age because you begin to see the fading glory of this world and the things of it. And you've been enabled by the Spirit now to see the glory that is to come. And you know, by faith, that's going to be far better and more glorious. See, if the Spirit does this within us, we will become Christians who no longer lay up their treasures on earth where moth and rust 
destroy and we're thieves breaking and steal, but we'll become Christians who really live for that eternal future and begin to lay up our treasures in heaven, right? Where our inheritance is, isn't that what Peter just told us? Being reserved for us, we become heavenly directed people, realizing just as Bunyan's Christian did on the path to the celestial city. His whole life was one of fleeing the city of destruction and looking forward to and moving towards the celestial city in all its glory. That is the kind of people that Jesus wants us to be. That's the kind of person our Lord Jesus was. Always with my, his eye on the prize of glory. We need to ask God to really let us see the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saint, the riches of it, the glory of what will be given to us so that it will change us from the inside out. And by the way, just as an aside, Whenever you open your Bible to read it or you come to a service and you know you're going to be hearing the word read and singing it and listening to it preach, you should always be praying, Oh Lord, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. What are we praying in that? That we'd be able to see the screen? That we'd be able to see the words on the page with our eyes? Maybe some of you are praying that. But what the psalmist meant is that just this, the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened and all of a sudden something we've read over a thousand times becomes very precious to us, very glorious to us. This is where change will happen in your life. Giving yourself time to really think over the word every day. Meditate on it so that it does sink in and the spirit eventually works in and through it to let you see the glories of His Word. We are always a dependent people and we are the most dependent when we approach the Word of God. Because otherwise all it becomes for us, all it is, is up here in our heads. And the churches are filled with so many Christians where their Christianity is lodged in their brain as a series of facts and truths to be known and memorized with no infiltration of the heart. That's not to be us. We pray, guys. We pray as we study through Romans 8 that we would all see this glorious inheritance with the eyes of faith, the eyes of our hearts, and that it would be precious to us, precious enough to us to live for it and give our whole lives for it. We want to be like the people that Matthew, or Jesus talks about in Matthew 13. In verse 44, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Listen to this. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. When God's people can see the kingdom of heaven the future inheritance and glory as a treasure worth now, listen, 
joyfully selling everything you have to just get that treasure. Though the world will look at it and say, that's crazy. You're living your entire life for something that hasn't happened yet, that you haven't seen with your physical eyes or held with your physical hands, and you're going to sell all, so to speak, to live for that time period. And you say, yes, because the Spirit has enlightened my heart and let me see the glory of it. He's given me the eyes to see. This is why after things like this, Jesus would always say, let the one who has ears to hear, hear. Well, everybody that was listening to him had ears, I'm sure, or most of them. But what ears really hear what Jesus says? The ones in whom the Spirit is working and they hear what he says and they say, yes, yes, that's truth. I lay hold on that. I lay hold on Christ. I live for that. I'll give up everything. I'll be like Paul and I'll, I'll just consider it like a big pile of dung, everything I lose in order to gain Christ, be found in him and attain the resurrection of the dead, the glory that is coming at us. Or again, Matthew taught, or Jesus taught in Matthew 13, 45, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought that one pearl. Jesus is teaching us that there will be those who see the kingdom of heaven with their eyes of faith from the pages of Scripture and they'll believe And by the Spirit's power, they'll see it, glory in it, they'll lay hold of it, and they'll give their whole lives for it. And the rest will think that's foolish. We'll live for the things of this world. We'll lay up their treasures right here. And they'll lose everything in the end. In which category are you? Ask the Spirit to give you eyes to see the glory that's going to be revealed to us. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 13 and 14. Therefore let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here... We have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. You know, Christian, presidential election season is on its way. Everybody ready for that? Here we go. Maybe we need verse 14 lodged into our brains and our hearts. Here we have no lasting city. We seek the city that is to come. We pray for what can happen here. We pray for God's blessings upon this nation. We we do. We pray for all those things. We exercise the citizenship and the freedom He's given us. Great. But in the end, no matter what happens, we have no lasting city here. And we are a people who see the glory that's coming, see the city to come, and we say, 
We're living for that. And God, by His Spirit, help us to do that. Okay, that was all the first point of God's inheritance to us. Now, it is a gracious inheritance. Back in Romans 8. Notice this. In verse 17, he says, We're heirs of God, and catch this, fellow heirs with Christ. Fellow heirs with Christ. And I'm saying that this points to the fact that our inheritance is a gracious one. Now, what does it mean to be fellow heirs with Christ? Well, as the unique son, which Jesus, of course, was and is, the unique, only begotten Son of God, incarnate Jesus, and the promised Messiah, Christ Himself is the heir of all the wonderful promises of God to His people. He is the heir of all the promises of God to His people. As a matter of fact, Hebrews 1-2 says this point blank. It says, but in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, of course we know that to be Jesus, whom He appointed the heir of all things. So, Every promise of God for the good of His people. Christ, in and of Himself, is the heir of all of those wonderful promises of kingdom and glory and eternity. All of them are in Christ. He is, as the unique Son, the Messiah, the heir of all of those things. But here's the wonderful truth of Romans 8. In Christ, we are fellow heirs of all of those things in Him. So everything that the unique Son inherits, we are fellow heirs with Him. Do you see that? It's stunning, actually. It's powerfully stunning. He inherits it all, and we inherit it with Him. That's amazing. It doesn't even sound right, actually, but it is. It's right here on the page. There's no way to deny it. We are, if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ of all of those wonderful promises. And friends, the reason I'm calling that a gracious inheritance is this. We must never forget that we become heirs with Christ of all of these wonderful, eternal promises, not because of our goodness or of our works, or what we've done because it wasn't earned by us. It was earned for us by Christ Himself. See, I'm saying that this is a gracious inheritance for us, not for Christ. This is His by right. He earned it all. And in Him we graciously get it as well and become fellow heirs 
with Christ. He deserves the glory. And therefore, uniquely, as the unique Son, for all eternity, we will ascribe to Him the glory due His name for the inheritance that we are fellow partakers in by grace. Because the song of all eternity for the Christian will always be one of grace. Grace forever and ever and ever will never be forgotten. We get this inheritance with Christ because of Christ. This means that no one is ever trying to work their way into heaven. We don't have heaven in our sight and as our prize and say, okay, I'm going to really give it a go and I'm going to get into heaven by my own works. The only way in, the only way to the Father is through the unique Son, Jesus Christ. It's a gracious inheritance. This is why the new song in heaven, hope you like new songs because there's new songs in heaven. Here's one of them. Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10, they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth all by your grace. All because of who you are, Lord Jesus, and what you have done. You've blessed us with these things now. We inherit these things with you. It's all a a gracious inheritance. And friends, these things, as we think about this graciousness of our inheritance, Paul puts in, in verse 17, look at this, something very important to see now. If we're children, then we're heirs, we're heirs of God, we're fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. What does that mean? To suffer with Christ, to be glorified with Christ, to suffer with Christ, to be a fellow heir with Christ. What does that mean? It cannot mean That somehow we suffer in this world to atone for our sins. Paul knows they're not going to misunderstand that. He's already taught them in the first chapters of Romans that Christ suffered for the sins of His people. He made propitiation for them now. They are now standing under grace before the Father. They're justified people, which means, remember, all their sins forgiven and they have all the righteousness they could ever mean. So he doesn't mean in any kind of of atoning way. So what is it to suffer with Christ? Well, the life of a Christian is the life, a life with Christ himself. This is something we need to really think about and be aware of every day. When you're living in this life, you're living this life with Christ. As a matter of fact, if you remember verse 10, He says, but if Christ is in you, you live this life with Christ, Christ being in you. It's Christ's life, spiritual life in you, giving you this life. You walk this road with Christ. 
And the path of living with Christ will entail suffering. The whole, old, whole New Testament promises that. Trials of various kinds. We read it in Peter. The fiery trials. Some of that suffering is because you believe in Christ. It's because you're being persecuted because you believe in Christ. Other forms, other kinds of trials of suffering come into your life. All sorts of them. And as you walk that road of suffering, you're walking that road with Christ. That is, you're trusting in Him. You're obeying Him. You're loving Him. You're rejoicing in Him. You're worshiping Him. You're doing all of that through the suffering, you see. And if you do that, then you're suffering with Christ. And what you know is, one day, as Paul says, you will be glorified with Christ. The alternative to that, Christian, is this, that when suffering comes into your life, you turn away from Jesus. And that happens because people make a profession of faith that turns out to not be real because they thought that God would make their life better. I've told you this before. There's a church in town. We got a little note card from them. This was years ago advertising their church and it said, God wants to make every area of your life better. That's ridiculous. It's false advertising. Because what that does is say, yeah, okay, well, I'll take Jesus then. I mean, that's great. My life's going to give every area of my life. My bank account's going to grow. I'm guaranteed to be healthy. Goodness, I get that next promotion I've been wanting. There are many Christians professing that think that way. Trials come, persecution comes, tribulation comes, and they say, I don't need this. I don't need this. I'm walking away from Christ. Those are people that it is just shown that they never had true faith or the Spirit within them. But for those who do, they walk the road of suffering, albeit not always perfectly. They have bad days. They have dark days in their suffering at times and complaining and anger and all of those things. That's why the Psalms exist to give them words to complain to God before they arrive at faith and say, okay, but I trust you and you're going to work all this out, you see. But they keep believing. They keep trusting Christ. They keep worshiping Christ. They suffer with Him to the end and they will be glorified with Him. Did you know that the road to glory is a road paved with suffering of all kinds? God never promised in this world for you to be free of suffering. As a matter of fact, the complete opposite has been promised to you. I love the account of the Apostle Paul in Lystra as he's ministering there and evangelizing there. And the Jews came in from Antioch and Iconium and they stirring up everybody against Paul and they took Paul out and they stoned him. They thought he was dead. That's how bad they had beaten him and they took him out. They threw him out of the city. It says the disciples came around them and he got up. Now some people believe he had died and actually was raised from the dead and others believe he just, they just thought he dead. really doesn't matter. The simple fact of the matter is he goes right back about his ministry of proclaiming Christ and he's teaching disciples in these areas. 
And Luke tells us that in chapter 14, verse 22, they were, he was strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, listen, that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. You think it's any different for us than it was for them? What would Paul say to us? Would he not say the same thing? Continue in the faith. Continue in the faith. It's through many tribulations you must enter the kingdom of God. It's, this is the way to glory, just as it was for Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despising the shame and is now in glory. Now as you follow him, same thing. Trials, tribulations, sufferings. Keep believing in Jesus. And that's why in verse 18, and I'm going to close with this, it's a good inheritance that's worth suffering for. This is what he says. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Do you believe that, Christian? The sufferings of this present time are just that. For they're for this present time. That's why John says this in Revelation 21, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain and more. For the former things have passed away. All forms of pain and suffering and sorrow, all of it gone. That was for this present time. And then we'll say, that was for that present time. But now forever there's nothing but goodness and glory. Forever and ever. No bad at all. And Paul says, all the bad in your life, no matter what God in His sovereignty walks you through, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how dark it gets. Friends, it's not even worth comparing to the glory He's going to give you. It's that good. Keep believing. Isn't that, don't you see this message in the Scriptures? Keep believing. Keep looking to Christ. Keep trusting Him. Keep obeying Him. Keep worshiping Him because it will be worth it all. Trust in His promises. It will not disappoint. I'll close this with 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 to 18. Knowing all of this, friends, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we now look, listen, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us such rich, promises in your son lord jesus we praise you for securing those for us spirit we thank you for sealing us until the day when all of those promises are ours i ask for everyone in this room that your spirit would give to them real knowledge and understanding and wisdom about eternal things, motivating them to keep believing and keep following Christ. And we ask this in His name. Amen.